Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. As we continue our study through the letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus, we move from his introduction to a brief explanation of the threefold blessings in which God works on behalf of the people. Remember from last week that the previous set of verses um, in the earlier parts of chapter 1, first we have redemption in Christ Jesus made available through the death of Christ. Verse 1, uh, rather verse 7, chapter 1 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The second blessing that we encountered there in that first section was that Christians have been redeemed in Christ to participate in his life. Verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And the third blessing that's mentioned there comes as a result of a seal. Not the cute little cuddly kind of seal that swims in the ocean uh, that uh, are really amazing swimmers. But the kind of seal that a king would pour on the flap of a, a, a letter Uh, He would pour warm and soft wax on that flap of the letter, and then he would take his signet ring and stick it into that warm wax, demonstrating that this letter was from him. It had his seal on it. And so the third blessing for Christians comes in the manner of a seal of the Holy Spirit. That is a promise of what is and what's to come. Not as a passive guarantee, as we shall see in the final sentence here of this chapter, but in a way that enlivens and empowers Christians to live out a new kingdom ethic in this doomed age. That is all to say that as a result of the redemption we have in Christ, we grow to understand what is a future reality in Christ's kingdom. And we understand that there are specific implications for these things in our present lives. As a result... The kingdom invades. So I want you to spend some time today, have your bulletins in front of you, take a look at Ephesians, because we're going to work our way through that passage. I spent this time briefly to introduce the verses for today, because the apostle continues these three ideas as he begins to process uh, and clarify and explain And deepen our understanding, showing us the implications of a kingdom invasion. And so this morning, I want to address three things. First, I want to think about Paul's prayer. Second, I would like to look at our purpose. And third, I want to consider God's power. Bible commentator Walter Elwell says that the immense significance of this threefold work of God on behalf of humanity, makes it imperative that people hear about it and come to understand it. For the more they do so, the greater their ability will be to stand steady and grow in their new relationship with God and with each other. Therefore, for this reason, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 15, that's our first statement. For this reason, Paul prays for his readers whose faith he has heard about. And so this is the first item I want to draw your attention to. Paul's prayer. 
Paul's prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving and understanding. So if we start in verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurably great greatness of his power. Uh, this is actually one long sentence. Paul slaps a bunch of ideas together with commas, and so we kind of have to hang on a little bit to what he's getting at. Principally, what Paul is doing here are two things. First, he is praying a prayer of thanksgiving for the church in Ephesus and praying for understanding. Paul has heard of the good things and the way of life of the Ephesian Christians. He knows that they are standing firm in the midst of a crooked and perverse city, and he offers to the Lord a prayer of thanksgiving for their faithfulness. In this city of Ephesus, it's notorious for its size, for its commerce, for its idolatry. Artemis was the goddess of fertility. So you can imagine what sort of idolatry was in place there. Christians yet in Ephesus are maintaining the faith. And he wants to commend them for it because honestly it encourages him. You'll remember that Ephesians is written from prison. And so he is reflecting back on a church that he began and started. And he's hearing their stories of faithfulness and he's encouraged in this. And so he writes to encourage them to keep up the good work. Specifically in Paul's prayer, he's asking the Lord for one thing for the believers. Understanding. This one thing, though, comes in forms, in many forms in Paul's prayer. So the list includes a spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge of God, enlightenment, hope, inheritance, and power. That list is amazing. These are all things that are given by God to the one who has faith in Christ. Let me uh, emphasize a part of Paul's statement here for a moment. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you these things that are listed. Paul understands first and foremost that each of these things are blessings. They are gifts from the Lord toward those who believe. More on that in a moment. This list describes what Paul means by understanding. It's an amazing list of things, and he prays that believers will comprehend the blessings which are theirs in Christ in the following, following ways. So first, that they would be given a spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom refers to the Holy Spirit's secret working in Christians to give them insight into God's word and the saving knowledge of him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12 says this, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor 
ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Second, what's the second thing on the list? That we would receive or we would be given revelation. Right? Revelation, a revealing of things that are hidden. There's, there's something that's clouding our vision, right? And, and Paul prays that, that, that we would, the Christian, the one who has faith in Christ, would be made aware of that which is unclear or uncertain without some sort of outside assistance, We require God to reveal to us his knowledge and his understanding. Third on the list there is knowledge of God. A theoretical and practical understanding of God. Not just a knowing intellectually, but a living out as well. And and so I'll make more comment about that in just a minute. But that we would know or understand the knowledge of God, who he is. The next thing on that list is enlightenment. Right? So we're starting to fall into some of the similar ideas that Paul uh, gets at here. Right? Enlightenment is similar to revelation. It is the illumination of something that is darkened and unseen except by light that shines to reveal. Right? On a dark night, uh, we, uh, if we're on a hike, we, we need a, a lantern or a flashlight or a candle that illumines the way for us. Enlightenment, And so in similar ways, Paul is praying that God would enlighten or illumine the word. Help us to understand who God is. Next on the list is hope. He says the hope to which you were called. Eternal life in Christ, which profoundly alters current awareness of circumstances. History records story after story of people in difficult circumstances who are able to endure because of hope, because they think and hope that eventually I'll be removed from this hardship. My best friend, Luke, uh, my best friend's son, the son's name is Luke, just completed on uh, Thursday the the SWIC SEAL training out in uh, Coronado, Southern California. He's... uh, worked to be a Navy SEAL for a long time, and he just went through what they call the tour, 72 hours of hell week, without food and without water, limited water, constant exercise, constant enduring of suffering in the sub-hypothermic conditions of the Pacific Ocean on the beach there. And when he completed, he told his dad that all he was thinking about when he was hallucinating and struggling to hang on to keep from walking up the beach and giving up and ringing the bell and tapping out, all he could think of was the hope of wearing the brown shirt of a special warfare combatant crew crewman and training with the SEALs. And Thursday morning, uh, Thursday afternoon, he called his dad. His dad was waiting to hear what, what the news was. Had he tapped out or had he made it? And he called his dad in exhaustion, 
Steve said he could hardly hold his head up. He had sand on his face still, but he was wearing the brown shirt and he knew, right? And during Luke's suffering, it was hope that kept him going because it profoundly altered his immediate awareness of his circumstances. He knew that he could endure this for just a little while longer because he knew it would end, right? So what is the hope to which you are called? That is eternal life in Christ. The next thing on the list is the riches of God's glorious inheritance. Maybe this is part of the hope to which we're called, right? The inheritance of the saints to be included with those of previous generations of the faith. The sons and daughters of Abraham who will receive gifts and rights and privileges of being counted in the family of God. And then finally, the immeasurable greatness of God's power that releases Christ from the dead and brought him back to life. Death has a finality to it. When you're dead, it's over and done with. And yet, for Christians, there is, quote, the immeasurable greatness of his power for those who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Power over supernatural forces through magic and occult was an incredible concern in the ancient city of Ephesus. But the power of the living God in Christ exceeds all competing authorities. Oh, well, again, comments. He says, the burden of Paul's prayers for these people is that God would cause them to understand. What is meant is that they need to receive from the Spirit a revealing of divine wisdom, the purpose of which is that they might themselves know God. This kind of enlightenment for the eyes of your heart refers to the spirit of a person, the mind, the inner soul, in its power to grasp ideas. And to this, God is asked to give illumination with the implications that if he does not, it cannot be had. That's the point of Paul's prayer, to understand God with their enlightened hearts. First, the hope to which they've been called. Second, the glorious abundance of his inheritance. And then the more than sufficient power for those who believe. Paul's prayer reflects what is already noted in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. We looked at that last week. That the blessing came through the redemption we have in Christ Jesus, the participating in Christ, in his life, and the Holy Spirit as a seal for our promise of what is. And so Paul kind of echoes those things again here in this last sentence of the first chapter. The second thing I want to comment upon, which define what Paul means by a new understanding, comes as a result of this thing. It, It is our purpose. What is our purpose? What does Paul say here? He says, faith and love is our purpose. And faith and love is about our understanding. So Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So we've been given all of these sweet blessings in Christ, but they're to have effect upon us. 
That's to say that these good gifts from the Lord are never intended simply to keep them for ourselves, to hang on for ourselves alone. And this is where our actions of understanding are made evident. So I'd like to make two points. First, the action of faith and love are a demonstration of the kinds of knowing that Paul was hinting at. Understanding for Paul is not passive. So when we think of knowing something or understanding it, we should realize we are speaking about a full knowledge and clarity of the subject in view. In this case, Paul wants his readers to know God rightly. And for Paul, knowing was never simply intellectual discipline. And so that's why he uses terms like wisdom and the eyes of our hearts as a means of knowing. Because wisdom is knowing the right thing and doing it. Knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. True wisdom is living out that which is understood. And so Paul wants his church to live out of their faith in a greater way that demonstrates what they believe. Similarly, when we speak of the heart or the eyes of our heart being enlightened, Paul is suggesting that our character, our lives of habitual action, that, that stuff that's hidden in us, right? Our hearts, the core of who we are, that it would be demonstrated externally, that we would be able to act out of what we are in our character. Not just what we believe intellectually, but what we have become. So faith is demonstrated in action. Or said another way, the demonstration of faith is action. What is the evidence of faith? The action of it in love, where we go out of our way to care for others and meet others where they are. We point them to Christ. That is those are a couple of actions of demonstrating love. Ephesians two, verse 10. We'll get to that next week. But it it says this and Paul gets at this for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So as we come to understand who God is, which is Paul's prayer, then we have a, an internal new understanding that works itself out in the ways in which we live and act and love. Second, Paul notes that faith and love are already in existence in the church. In verse 15, Paul's simply recognizing something that is already a reality in the people he's writing to. We might say, well, then what's the point? I think the point is that he wants them to grow increasingly in their knowledge and understanding of God, that their action would grow and it would increase. But they already have faith and love. And these are evidence there in the church in Ephesus in which they're living into the gifts that the Lord has given them in Christ. The Christians there in Ephesus already are displaying their understanding of God through the ways that they demonstrate their faith and love for one another. And yet, Paul wants for them to understand more. Let me pause for a moment and highlight a small list of demonstrations in which the saints of Grace Anglican Church are already showing faith and love. The high school worship team, also known as my boy band, they have sacrificed. Do you like what I did there? Why it's in, my, in the band is my boy. My, forget it. I know. I'm trying to keep up with Ethan. 
That group of guys has sacrificed their time and put themselves under pressure to lead college students musically. They're high school guys, and they're, they're leading college students. It's amazing. Our entire student population has become inordinately flexible with massive changes in worship structures so that they could safeguard the rest of the body. For a year and a half almost, we've been worshiping separate from the church. We feel separated, and they've done it with grace. The awesome number of college students who have signed up to serve the church in various ministry roles and assist in church planting. Last week, uh, in the college service, I asked the students and and said, there's a whole bunch of ministry things that are available. The church needs your help. And I had, I had almost 40 students say they were willing to assist. I have 25 students, college students, that are, are working with Father Eric in the church plant. This is unbelievable. Several people have donated their government stimulus money to the discretionary fund so that the church could help people in need. With several people at Grace uh, donate money and volunteer services for this, the future church plant that we're thinking about. We've had a number of folks who, in the midst of anxiety and pain, use the difficult experience of those painful things to do soul-searching and excavate their hearts. They noticed that they were hurting their families and the pandemic unearthed items that needed to be addressed. And a number of us have been working and doing the hard work in pursuit of faith and love. Many from Grace are in counseling and they're taking incredible, courageous steps to admit that there are things that need addressed. That grammar was for Ethan and Eric. (laughs) The kind ways you have watched out for one another whenever there are needs among our church members, especially during this pandemic. Making meals, lending a listening ear, caring for others' children just to name a few, right? There are hundreds and hundreds of other examples. <coughs> Excuse me. Proper understanding is demonstrated in proper living, in faith and love. And the Ephesian understanding and our necessary understanding consists of faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward all the saints. In other words, this is a relationship of confidence in the work of God in Christ, which itself is seen in a relationship of loving concern for fellow members of the new family. No matter who they may be, acted out in attitudes and concrete deeds. Finally, it's imperative that we see an extremely important connection between these concepts of and blessings on the one hand and a pragmatic historical reality on the other. And this is how Paul lands this, right? He says, how is it that any of us have the openness or the ability to understand God and demonstrate our understanding uh, uh, through faith and love? He lands the plane this way in this sentence because he suggests we need to see God's power. Paul carries on this idea in verse 19, offering his reasoning behind these statements of his prayer and our purpose. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to be 
to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We who label ourselves Anglican or the Presbyterian among us can get a little queasy whenever we broach the topic of the Holy Spirit showing up. We're Trinitarian in our theology and we enjoy thinking deeply of the Father of glory, verse 17, and the atoning work of the Son. But we sometimes can get a bit twitchy whenever the Holy Spirit shows up. For various reasons, we're cautious with the Holy Spirit, or as Paul states here in verse 17, the spirit of wisdom. Yet it's the spirit of wisdom who comes first in this list of things which Paul prays for on behalf of his beloved church. Because it's through the power of the spirit of wisdom that any of us know God in the first place. So we must lean a bit in and willingly make space for the Holy Spirit to work on us and to demonstrate God's power. After all, this very same power that God exercised in Christ by raising him from the dead, verse 20, and which he has in abundance for Christians. It's the same power. In these verses, Paul passes directly from the resurrection to the exaltation of Christ to the place of supreme power and authority in the universe. Paul notes that God has anchored believers in a concrete historical event, a physical resurrection of Jesus from the tomb. Once dead, now alive. Moreover, this same exercise of power which raised Christ from the dead and secured for us our hope and inheritance has also seated Christ at the place of supreme power in the universe. The right hand of God. This is my left hand. He sits at the right hand of God. Christ sits far above all competitors for power, potential or real. Nothing takes precedence over Jesus in this age or in the age to come. The future age has already been initiated. However, in this life, resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Christ for all things have been subject to him. Verse 22. Jesus Christ has been made head, uniting himself in himself, the restored universe for the sake of the church, his body, the new all-encompassing family of God. If the power of God, who raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenlies at his right hand, is also the same power which gives believers life in Christ, then we also are seated with Christ in the heavenlies right now as his body. The implications are profound and make way for us to live out our lives of submission and service and sacrifice to the Lord as we grow in faith and love. What do we have to fear? The authority that has been given to Jesus has been given to his followers because we are in Christ. So we can advance his ministry with confidence, knowing that God's power coming from the spirit of, the, of wisdom advances with us. I'm using military language there, right? The advancement. So we can move into new work and ministry like a church plant because God's power is toward us who believe. We can move into new work and ministry, perhaps like evangelism, 
where we express the hope to which God has called us towards his glorious inheritance. Because God's power is towards us who believe. We can move into a new work and ministry like caring for people who don't look like us or who don't have the same educational background as we do or isn't, they, they're not as familiar with the nuanced theological understandings of God's word. Why? Because God's power is towards us who believe. We can move into a new work and ministry like care for the downtrodden and needy because God's power is towards us who believe. To conclude, Paul prays a prayer of thanksgiving for his church, that they would have a greater understanding of God and that we would grow into that understanding so that we would know God's authority and power are also for us, being united with Christ to walk in the spirit of wisdom as we participate with Christ in the kingdom invasion. The ways in which we will be able to grow in understanding and continue in our efforts as God's people, living in faith and love, is through the power of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.